Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, March 19th, 2023. Today's sermon will be Israel's deliverance from Egypt, a picture of the gospel. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Before we begin today, let's go ahead and and pray and ask the Lord to, to give us grace. We're going to be coming from stemming off of Hebrews to think about Moses and the deliverance. Um, so we won't be in any particular passage this morning, but let's, uh, let's pray um, before we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. You have blessed us with and you've been good to give us this time. Or again, we can meet together with your people, people of faith faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, as Christians today, we are very grateful for this time. We need it. We need, your, your word tells us not to forsake the regular gathering together of, of your people. And uh, so, Father, here we are today, and we, and we pray in Jesus' name, because we know that all of your promises are yes in him. I pray today the gospel would be proclaimed. I pray that Jesus would increase, that I, we would decrease, Father. Pray that we would see how great our sins are, but how great is your mercy in Christ. I pray that if someone is here that is not a Christian, that today, Father, they might see that their eyes might be open, their ears might be opened as well, that they might hear and understand the gospel and turn to you in repentance and faith and be saved. And help Christians today. Help us that, that we might be encouraged, that we might be exhorted, that we might be convicted, and that these words might help us today and this week until we meet again. And so, Father, we give you this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we were, with, we were thinking about Moses and particularly the, the faith of Moses' parents. And so we're going to be thinking about their time, the Hebrews' time there in Israel, I mean in Egypt, and as they are delivered. And so... <clears throat> Just by way of beginning, got a bit of an introduction here, but in the history of Israel, there's no greater person, no greater event than Moses and Israel's deliverance from Egypt. It was at that time, that particular time, that the Hebrew, Hebrew people, they were formed into a nation there in Egypt. And Moses was their great deliverer. He was their great leader. He was the one, if you remember, who spoke with God, how? Face to face. Now, we're not preaching on that today, but he spoke to Moses in a way. He did not speak to the rest of Israel. And God gave Moses his laws, and through Moses, he communicated them to Israel. Now, when we think about the story of Moses and the deliverance there, many people read the story of Moses and Israel's deliverance as history only. Or people read it just as an inspiring story that we might get. Or people might read and try to find certain truths that might help them. But as Christians today, as people of faith, as we who are also included in the great family of Abraham by faith, we see this story as the great plan of God to bless his people, to keep his people, and to ultimately keep them so that the entire world 
is blessed and the glory of the Lord covers the earth. God will keep his covenant. God will keep what he has promised. So when we come to this story, we must not read it or understand it in and of itself. There are historical facts, or these are historical facts, from a real people, from a real deliverance. But this story pictures a greater deliverance, a greater bondage and even much greater deliverer than Moses. This story pictures and finds, finds its meaning in the gospel of Christ. So as we see it here as Christians and we look at that, this story, this will help us not just to see what happens with, 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 with the Hebrews in Egypt, but it helps us, gives us a picture of how we look at all the stories, the shadows and types of the Old Testament. And so this story pictures the gospel of Christ. The earthly land of Canaan was never meant to be an end in and of itself. The occupation of the, you know, of Abraham's children's 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 children, their seed, Abraham's seed, was not the end. This story, with all of its shadows and all of its types, that we're going to look at a bit through the next few weeks, is designed to picture the church, the people of God by faith who will one day enter into glory and which has now been inaugurated, begun in the true deliverer, Jesus Christ. So in Israel's great deliverance, we see earthly principles that prepare the people of God for heavenly principles. Because if we think about Hebrews, we, we think about Hebrews 11, what city were they looking for? The heavenly city. They were looking for heavenly things. And so <clears throat> this is one of the reasons I'm so excited to preach this. And, and so I'm going to do it in four sermons. Um, and I hope these sermons will be helpful. I think they will as we look at the Old Testament and as we see how they are applied in the gospel of Christ today. So here's the four sermons. Today, um, we're basically just looking at Israel's bondage, their slavery. So that's today's sermon. Next week, well, actually get Gil next week. We'll be out of town. But the next sermon will be the deliverer. So we'll look at Moses pointing to Christ. The week after that, we'll look at the deliverance in general, when they were delivered. And then the last sermon will be their wanderings in the desert as God kept them as a people. And so let's begin today with this sermon on bondage. And so <clears throat> under the big umbrella of, of bondage. I have two truths today, okay? Here they are. I'll go ahead and give them to you. First, in his mercy, God delivers his people from the bondage of sin. Pretty simple. That's the first truth. Second truth, God prepares his people for heaven. So those are our two truths. So let's begin with our story. And I'm going to tell the story over a few times and I hope that we'll get it. But notice from this story the great mercy of God to deliver his people from the bondage of sin. Now I get this from the depths of Israel's depravity in Egypt at the time of Moses' birth. So how long have they been there? 400 years. So what was going on after those 400 years particularly with the time of, of those Hebrews living there? 
Now, if we look at the history, history, Israel began its time 400 years earlier with who? With Joseph. He was second in charge behind Pharaoh. And he was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And Jacob, I mean, excuse me, Joseph, <clears throat> during that particular time, and, and all the people there that were there with Jacob and the sons and their families, they were greatly blessed. Joseph was seen as e- Egypt's great savior because he protected them and, 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 and he guided Pharaoh in that country and he was in charge during those seven years of, of drought. And during that time, they at least became the premier, premier power in that area of the world, maybe the entire world, we don't know. And Joseph, at that time, with Pharaoh's blessings, he invited Jacob and their sons to come down and live where? The land of Goshen. Did a little study on the land of Goshen. Even today, that land is seen as like the best land in Egypt. <clears throat> and that, that, was, that was kind of interesting. But Jacob, um, at the end of his life, right before he dies, he blesses his sons. He blesses Joseph's sons. And at that particular time when they are there, they're coming to live under the protection of Pharaoh, and they are greatly favored. And they are a people, if you look at, I believe at that time, they had great faith. God had just brought them out and saved them from death. Now they were living there, they were being protected. They were a people of great faith. Now, at the same point, they knew by faith that they would go back to Canaan one day. And they were looking forward to that promise. They didn't know when. Exactly, but they knew it. But at that particular time, 400 years earlier, as a people, a small people, they were a great people of faith. Now, let's fast forward. 400 years later, they develop into a great nation. They enjoy the blessings of Egypt. Um, And and they don't actually become slaves until much later in their time in, in Egypt. But over time, their hearts gravitate towards the pleasures and even the gods of Egypt, Um, which later we know this to be true because what did they do after seeing the great signs? Moses goes up on the mountain, and then what do they they design? What do they build? A cow, a calf, which was very prevalent in the worship of Egypt. And so it's just clear they took that from there. It had gotten so bad that Moses had to ask God, what is your name? So that I might tell them who you are. Because they had come so far from that, those early days. They were steeped in Egyptian idolatry. They had forgotten how to worship God in the right way. We often don't think like this, do we? We just think, oh, they're just people of faith all the way through. Well, Obviously, they are not people of faith all the way through. There are, there's faith there, but we don't see it very much at this particular time. So after those years, particularly at the end, they had forgotten how to worship God in the right way, and they did not appear to me to be living by faith. And so the longer they stay in Egypt, what happens to them? The more corrupt and idolatrous they become. And then, after almost 400 years, where do we find this people? Well, they are forced to make bricks and build Egypt's buildings as slaves. 
They are persecuted. There are, we see a national law to go and to kill the, the male infants. And if they were to continue in this state, what would their fate be? No faith, and now they're killing off their, their male infants. If God were to leave them there in their idolatry and in their physical slavery, what would become of them as a people? Well, I think Pharaoh was just hoping they would eventually just assimilate into Egypt. And so they would either assimilate or they might rebel and then be conquered and then cease to be a nation. So if you think about their sins and their idolatry and how far they had come from a people of faith there in the beginning to then a people of slaves, do you think they deserved to be delivered? Of course not. Of course not. Which brings me to some of the most important words in the Bible. But God. God did not forget his promises to Abraham. To bless them, to bring them to Canaan. God did not forsake his people. God will not leave them as slaves. He will deliver them. And again, he will renew his covenant with Moses. And he will teach them again how they might and how they should worship God properly. We look at the the law of Moses, tells them exactly what he's like and how they should worship him. And more importantly, he will not leave them in in their bondage, in their bondage to sin. Now, if you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. That's the story for our first truth. Israel coming, not having much faith at all, if any, at the end. And going down that road to destruction. And you see not just their bondage to slavery, but their bondage to sin and idolatry. And as you're turning to Ephesians chapter 2, think about us. Think about yourself. Are we any different Which of us has not sinned against God? Which of us has a sinless nature? Which of us can say on our own, God is my treasure? Now all of us come from the same father, Adam. We are all born with his sinful nature. It's evident in our families, in our lives, in the mess that's going on in all of our families It may not be as prevalent now, but it'll be prevalent next week. And if it's not in your life, it'll be in your friends' lives or it'll be in your next of kin's lives. It is evident. And we, I don't have to look very far to know that, boy, have I sinned greatly in my heart and in my actions and as as I treat my family and and all the things that goes on in my own mind when I lay down on my bed at night and think about all the things that I do that I shouldn't think about. We all know this. And if we are left to ourselves, there will be no deliverance from sin and death. Now, look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. This is really what the, the bondage and the mercy of God in the story of Moses should point us to. This is it. 
Ephesians 2 verse 1, and you were dead, trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. Wasn't the Israel not once walking there in their idolatry? Following the course of this world, they were following the course of the world of Egypt. And so were we. Following the prince of the power of the air, spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The slavery of Hebrews, of the Hebrews, pictures the slavery we all have to sin and death and separation from God. And if we are left to ourselves, what will happen? We will perish. We will never find favor with God. There is something worse than slavery in Egypt. There's something worse than being put in a man's prison. It is eternal slavery to sin. Without God, without His favor, without His blessing, without His love. And such are we all. But now look at, at verse 4. Here's our words. But God. These are the best words that a sinner can hear. But God. Such was the case with physical Israel and Egypt as they found themselves at the bottom of sin and idolatry with no hope except the promise of God and His covenant and covenant with them. Oh, the depths of our bondage to sin and death. But God. Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, at the end of the day, it is only mercy because there's no thing we can say that we could ever deserve. And if you read the Old Testament, they might do everything by faith and, and, and do exactly what God says, but they always say, falling upon your mercy, being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, think about Abraham and the people there in Egypt, the Hebrews, he loved them specially. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. We sung about grace this morning. And he's raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we are rich in sin in and of ourselves we are rich in ourselves. We think about ourselves. We are rich in idolatry. But God, He is rich in mercy. And this mercy is found not in Moses, but in Christ, the one in whom all of God's promises are fulfilled. One theologian, Patrick Fairbairn, this week says, True religion was never at a lower point in the family of Abraham than it was in the last days of Egypt. This could have been the lowest point Israel had ever been, even in their history, possibly. And such is the case with every one of us, every son of Adam, our father, who finds him or herself in the bondage to sin 
but God. So if you are here today and you are a Christian and you have your sins forgiven because of the blood of Christ, what can we do except just praise God for His mercy? We are rich in sin, but God is rich in mercy. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. What a picture we have of Moses and their deliverance. So with that in mind, we see lots of verses in the New Testament that will help us see this truth in Christ. Well, we're just going to do some responsive reading and then move on to point number two. But Greg, if you want to go ahead and pull those up, we'll do this as we do sometimes. So wake you up a little bit, but I hope you see and we see in these words the great mercy of God in Christ. So I will read and then you will read. So just follow along. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. And then on to Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Oh, the mercy of God to bring us out of bondage in this same way that he brought Israel out of Egypt. So that's truth number one. Truth number two, God must prepare his people to receive heaven. We see this with Israel and Egypt. They were not living in the, in the land that God had promised. Canaan was the promised land. They were in a foreign land. Now, it was, of course it was God's plan to move them down there and to bring them back. But they were not in Canaan. So in earthly terms, Egypt was not their home. So, again, where was their home? Their earthly home. It was Canaan. And so, therefore, God must, as they are living there in Egypt, God must not only take them to Canaan, he must prepare their hearts or prepare them to receive that land. So he will do this. Let me just mention, God will do this with Israel in two ways, okay? And I'm only going to mention, be able to talk about the first one. But God's preparing them for Canaan, for that land. The first way, and which is what, what we're going to focus on here, is he will prepare their hearts so that they will long for Canaan. Second way 
is through all the many years and even the wanderings in the desert, he will teach them to go physically and take the land as well. And that's, that's another issue. Oh, Lord willing, we'll get to that a little bit later. <clears throat> but we'll only talk about this, this first way today, preparing the heart for Canaan. So let's think about this a little bit more as, we, as I retell this story again. Israel had become way too comfortable in Egypt. They had been there for almost 400 years. And I gather that as a whole, they were not ready to leave the comforts of Egypt. We see that in their grumbling, do we not? Later on, they say, we, don't, we want the cucumbers and the, and the gourds and the things of, that we had back in Egypt. They were not ready to leave. They were not ready to give up all the pleasures that they enjoyed there in Egypt, particularly before they became slaves. <clears throat> and they, more importantly, they were not ready to leave the worship even there that they had become a part of, even the idolatry that had become prevalent in their, among their people. Now, this did not all happen at once. We know that because it, they started off with great faith and then down, 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 down. So when they began their time in Egypt, they were full of faith. Let me just recall that one more time. Jacob and his family had witnessed the great work of God to preserve them there in Egypt. They were given the best land. Pharaoh was caring for them. And then at the end of his life, Jacob, then he blesses his children and he makes great prophecies over their lives. He tells them to take his bones back to Canaan. Joseph does the same thing. But over time, generation after generation, we find a very different Israel, as I've already shared. We find an Israel with a heart not desiring to leave Egypt and go to Canaan. Much less ready to set their delights on, on that land. And so as we've seen... God could have left them in their rebellion. He could have. He could have been, it would have been very just of him to leave them in their rebellion, but he did not. He delivers them from slavery. But in the meantime, God must work on their hearts that they might, in their heart, desire that land. So think about it. If we count 40 years and say that's a generation... Israel would have had how many generations over 400 years? They would, they, they would have had 10 generations over 400 years in Israel. We just tend to read it and go, oh, it's just 400 years. Well, 400 years is a long time. I can only barely grasp the overlapping of three generations. My grandpa, my dad, myself, maybe my kids, maybe four, even at best. <clears throat> but they were there for 10 generations. And to think about, you know, moving my family and think for them to think about moving their family to this other land where they had all these comforts in Egypt and then resettle would, it's almost unthinkable to think that they would want to do that. It would be kind of like me and you thinking about your family saying we're going to move to Asia with all our things and we're never coming home. We're going to resettle there for, for no reason, not because you want to share the gospel with somebody, but just because moving. And so just think about that from their perspective, how hard it must have been. We're going to go up to that land that we haven't even seen. I mean, the only that first generation is the only ones that saw it. And even then they didn't possess it. They were just 
wanderers and sojourners and pilgrims in that land. And so how hard it would have been for them to do. So God had to prepare them in all of this to get them ready to go to that land. And so, you know, I would, if you put me in that same boat, we would all probably do the same thing. We're not ready to go to Canaan. But motive is the key to everything. You often hear me talk about motive. Jesus says out of the abundance of what? The heart, the mouth speaks. And Israel was not ready in their heart to leave Egypt. So, question. At that time, what does God do? Well, in his mercy and his grace, he, begin, he begins to prepare their hearts for Canaan once again that, that they had lost. And so how does God do this? This is where the sermon gets a little more difficult for us in our application. But how does God do this with Israel? Well, persecution, hardships, afflictions. Now, if we go back and read Exodus 1, here's what it says. So let me, let me ask my question again. God's preparing them and preparing their heart to go to Canaan. How does he do it specifically? Exodus 1.8 now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he says to his people, this is Pharaoh speaking, Behold, the people of Israel are too many. They're too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Let us make our laws so that we can lord over them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they might join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. Here we see the grace of God, the love of God, as he raises up another king. God is sovereign over this. God is raising up this king to prepare their hearts that they might go to Canaan. And so in his providence, Egypt starts to persecute the Hebrews. And instead of a privileged people, they become a nation of slaves. Now, does this sound like mercy and grace to you? What if all of a sudden your family is made to be slaves and you didn't do anything wrong? Does that sound like mercy and grace from a loving God? To you? Well, over time, they become slaves. But what happens in their slavery? We are told, once again, what do they do? They start to cry out to God and ask that God would deliver them from slavery. And God answers, as the parents of Moses, we saw last week, by faith, they put little Moses into the basket. He's adopted and then the story begins, and it takes quite some time because he's going, to go to the, he's going to go to the desert for many, many years. So there's a long time coming that God must prepare Israel for a heart, to have a heart for Canaan. And so in the coming days, we will see great hardships in the land of Egypt for the Hebrews. And this, I think that when we think about this by way of just looking back, this is a principle 
that we see throughout the scriptures. With Old Testament Israel, God often judges his people. When they are so far, God does not forget his covenant, his promise. He, he judges them and he disciplines them and he brings them back. And when he does, he also keeps his promise not to completely destroy them. And at the right times, God works through afflictions, through hardships, through persecutions to cause his people to long for him. So, for the rest of our time, I want us to think about a ap couple applications. Just thinking about this truth. So, my question is, how is God using hardships and afflictions and persecutions in your life? How is that grace? How is that mercy? Because we need to view it like this. Because which of us will not go through such things? And I think it is mature, mature of us to know that times are coming, but then to understand them in these ways. So here's an application. God disciplines his children to prepare to leave the things of this world behind. He prepares through the discipline of affliction, persecutions, hardships to draw our hearts away from the things of this world that we might love him that's what he does this is a principle we see with Egypt with Israel and Egypt and is a principle he uses today until the Lord Jesus comes back so if so here's a question I have if you do not love Jesus if you do not love the the things of God what will you like about heaven? Think about that. For God's people of faith, God disciplines us in such a way that we seek things that are above. So what do you think would have happened with the Hebrews if hardships and persecutions had not come to them? They would have, again, they would have just continued down that road of idolatry. Of course, God will not let that happen, and we're thinking hypothetically here, but that's what happens. God could have left them there, but if he would have just left them to themselves, they would just continue down the road to idolatry. Do you think they would have ever left Egypt, though? How vain would have been any attempt to get them to love Canaan, a place they had never seen, if the difficulties had not arrived when they did after 400 years? which, by the way, was perfectly prophesied. So, brothers and sisters, if we, if you love your sin, if we love this world, shouldn't we then pray for God to do something in our hearts, whatever it might be? Even last night, I just, I see my own sin and my, just, just honestly, my <clears throat> lack of boldness, particularly. I could, I could bring up many things, but my lack of boldness, even evangelism, or just my lack of, often I say this, my affections. And we, we are like this, are we not? We, we have our times. We're up, we're down. But I, I'm fearful if I'm always going down. And so I think about my own afflictions and so I think I mean not my afflictions I think about my own my, my own affections so shouldn't we pray if we see things if we see that we're sliding down shouldn't we pray God whatever it takes to bring me back please bring me back how hard is that that's 
very hard prayer to pray. But I think we, we, we certainly could do that very clearly. And so, I think too, if we love the things of this world, again, what, do you, what makes you think we will love heaven? If you love yourself, your own desires, your own idolatrous sins, and you are the Lord of your life, what makes you think you're going to love the Lord of heaven? Why would you want to go there if you have nothing in common with heavenly things? Brothers and sisters, we cannot serve, and not just brothers and sisters, if you're not a Christian here today, you cannot serve two masters because one will overtake the other. We must serve one master, and we must pray that God would keep us, keep us, and make us so that our hearts love Him and not love the, the, the gifts so much. I think that's what we do. We love the gifts more, more times often practically than we love the giver. And so that's, a, that's an application for us, that we might pray that God would change our hearts, that we would love Him more and not the things of this world. Because God will, He will do that with His people. That's one application. Another application. The kingdom of God must be entered through tribulation. With Israel, <clears throat> or what Israel experienced in affliction is a testimony to this common truth throughout the history of, of the world, okay? Difficulties and tribulations come from the hand of God to prevent our minds and our hearts <clears throat> to wed with this world, with the things that are temporal, things that do not last. The Apostle Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Romans 8, 18. He also says to the Corinthians, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. This means for us that trials and tribulations are common for God's people of faith. And I, I have a lot of questions there because it's not that they're always going to be because we're going to have great times of peace. And if you took that off into nations, and countries, and cultures, you're going to see them have great times of peace and great times of conflict. And particularly with God's people, you know, there's going to be a lot of time of, of peace. But there are times coming that we, we will get persecuted where afflictions will come and will hardships in this life. They will come. And God does that for our good. And these, these are common. One person says this in my studies this week. Love this quote. I'm going to I'm 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 tell us two times. Sanctified afflictions. In other words, afflictions from God. Sanctified afflictions are spiritual promotions. That's not my words. I read that and I thought, wow. So here it is again. Sanctified afflictions are spiritual promotions. So he's saying, you get a promotion at work, 
$20,000 raise? Yes. It's a promotion. You get an affliction. You get a hardship. You get persecuted. Yes. Right? I, again, it's not quite that simple. Because immediately, who, which of us wants that? But when they come and we realize by faith that God knows best, then we say, nevertheless, Lord, your will be done. And what happens? We sing when we come to church because we know that truth. Or we are joyful when we go through such things or when we meet with one another. And we, we worship God in our hearts and our homes. And we're more, we're, because we know that He is worth it, then our actions follow everywhere. Less sin. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so sanctified afflictions are spiritual promotions. So is this our mindset? Is this your mindset? Do you ever think that maybe God's doing these things in your life? Allowing them, and use that word if you want to, but he's still behind it all. Providentially bringing through sin and mess. Is this your mindset to know that he's doing it for your good so that you will long for heaven and for the things of God and not long for the things of this world? So <clears throat> this should change how we view hardships. The kingdom of God must be entered through tribulation. Now, got three more sermons, and we're going to be very similar to this as we see God work in Israel and then apply them to the gospel. But I'm going to close now. And when we, as we do, let's turn to the gospel of Christ as the ultimate application for our two truths today. So what were our two truths? First truth, our bondage is not in physical slavery. Our bondage is slavery to sin. And who is our Redeemer? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And even Israel of Moses' time, by faith, they look forward to his day. And so God fulfilled his promise to send the Messiah and those who look to him by faith, knowing that he laid down his life as a sinless sacrifice for our sins. And those who trust in his blood will find mercy and grace and they will be delivered for their sins. If you are a Christian today, you are delivered from your sins if you are looking unto Christ and you know that He is God's sacrifice as the one who's laid down for your sins. So rejoice in that today because that bondage and slavery is just a picture that God's saying, hey, one day the true deliverer, He will come and He will really deliver you. That was big, but it doesn't compare to the bondage, bondage that we have to sin. Second truth, God prepares His people to receive heaven. And I would say it is only as we look unto Christ, the true King, the Prince of Heaven, that we are able to leave the things of this world behind. So you want to be a better Christian? You want to be a better person of faith? Always, every day, look unto Christ. Jesus says, for without me you can do nothing. And so only as we look unto Christ can we... Is there something of more value... And what's so cool about it, as we follow him, he does the work through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if this is not your experience and you've been calling yourself a Christian for 20 years, maybe you're not a Christian. And we may be at the lowest of low, 
but Christians still have faith. And they may not have 20-fold, 30-fold, 40-fold, 100-fold, but there is faith looking unto Christ. And when it comes down to it, the Holy Spirit says, Christ died for my sins. So <clears throat> this is why I'm sure that the greatest motive to, to love and to live as we ought in this world is Christ and his beauty. So I hope Christ will be more beautiful to you this week as you consider him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time together. Thank you for these words from, uh, from your word, just the stories of Moses and, and, uh, and Israel there, the Hebrews as you're forming them into a nation, Father, with these beautiful truths for us today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work, apply them to our hearts, that we might look unto Christ this week, that we might, that you would grant us a heart of repentance, that we might grow little by little by little, <clears throat> even through hearing words like this today, that we might have a different, a little different perspective than we had before on the things that are going on in our lives. And uh, we just give you the day until we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.